0: Is this a spiritual podcast? (laughs) Sure is. You're listening to Wild and Holy Radio, the realest conversation on spirituality, finding your truth, and creating a life that honors your soul. I'm your host, Megan Hale, and together we'll grow in more faith, more love, and doing our holy work in the world. We've always been holy, and we were born to be wild. Permission to be both is granted. This episode is sponsored by Honey and Sage Co., a women's wellness subscription care package and apothecary who believe in holy wellness and self-care is sacred. Find out more at HoneyAndSageCo.com. Hello, you guys. Oh, my goodness. So it's our first real episode on Wild and Holy Radio. This is our first official start on this new journey that we're on, and I am super excited for for today's guest. It was a personal privilege and honor to share space with him, and if I'm introducing you to him for the first time, That's super cool because this guy has made a very big impact in my life spiritually, and I'm excited to share our conversation with you today. But before we get into that, I just wanted to say a special thank you. If you are coming over from the Enoughness Revolution, you have a special place in my heart because you've been on this journey with me for a while now. And the fact that you're with me on this new adventure means something very important to me. So I just wanted to make sure that I'm saying hello, I see you, Thank you so much, and we have one hell of a ride in front of us that I'm just so excited about, so woohoo, we're doing this. And if you're new here, that means something very, very important to me as well. We're just now meeting each other, so this is going to be a brand new relationship for both of us, and I'm hoping that these episodes will give you a great glimpse into who I am and what I'm most passionate about and bring you on this beautiful journey that is wild and holy. You know, the concept of wild and holy is so many things for me, but more than anything, it's about helping others find their truth to live it and create lives, honor their souls. I am passionate about being my fullest expression, of others being their fullest expression, and each of us doing our holy work in the world. I think that's what we are, we are destined to do. I think that's about self-actualization, but more importantly, I think that's what God wants for us, for us to be who we are and to make our impact. So if these are topics that excite you, I know you're going to love everything that Wild and Holy talks about and has to offer. So welcome to the journey and this community and this conversation. So today I'm interviewing somebody who's important to me because he's impacted my life a great deal in a very short amount of time. I'm talking to Rob Bell. And if you aren't familiar with Rob, he's authored 10 books, including the New York Times bestsellers, What We Talk About When We Talk About God. The Zim of Love, Love Wins, and his newest book, What is the Bible, which we're talking about today. He's been profiled in The New Yorker, toured with Oprah, you've probably seen him on Super Soul Sunday, and in 2011, Time Magazine named him one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Now his podcast, which I rave about all the time, is called The Robcast. You have to go check it out. It was named iTunes Best of 2015. That's actually how I found Rob, and it opened me up to a whole new world of understanding God, of understanding the Bible. His wisdom series in particular is just so good. You have to go check it out. He has a regular show at Largo, which is the legendary comedy and music club in LA, where he lives with his wife, Kristen, and their three kids. Now, this is something that you might not know. Today's interview was actually live. I did it via Facebook Live, so it has a video component, and this was a totally new format for me, so I will be interested and curious to hear if you like this format, if you want to see more of this format on the show, because I'd be happy and willing totally stoked to do more of those but I need to hear from you first so take a listen to this amazing conversation and then go leave a comment on my site right below this episode and tell me if you like the format so I'll know to do more of them so without further ado you guys we're talking to Rob Bell let's get into it shall we here's Rob Welcome to Wild and Holy Radio, everybody. I am so excited to be here with my next guest, or actually my first guest for Season 1, the, none other than Rob Bell. Rob, I am so excited that you're here with me today.
1: That's great to be with you.
0: I'm so glad. You know, reading What is the Bible has been such a transformational book for me. It has given me such a different perspective on understanding scripture, of understanding Jesus, and really exploring the faith in which I was raised, which is Christianity, through this new and refreshing lens. I mean, there are so many great pieces to this book. I honestly don't even know where to dive in. Right. Okay. So... I was watching a Facebook Live of yours the other day, and you you mentioned this in the book, where in the old school days of reading scrolls of the Torah, this was actually the beginning point of conversation around scripture and how we interpret it. And it actually opened up dialogue. And somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, um, the Bible has kind of been this ending point of discussion. And I see your book as reopening this and encouraging us to discern, and to discuss, and to probe, and to talk about. So my first question to you is, how did we get away from this tradition of discerning and talking about this stuff?
1: Well, um, for many people, when they talk about faith or spirituality, they're talking about comfort and security. Mm -hmm. They're talking about strong boundaries. They're talking about keeping things safe, secure, and known. So all energies then are spent protecting us from outside ideas or other people or that sort of thing. Um but faith, any authentic, robust spirituality is about the discovery. It's about the hunt. It's about the wrestling. Um, the word Israel means struggle. So even the fact that the Bible is a story of this tribe called Israel, and the word Israel means struggle, is everything in your life and your listener's life, everything that matters involves some element of sweat and struggle. Um, It costs, sacrifice, doing the reps, discipline, postpone gratification. This is all central to the actual stuff of life. So um for a lot of people, the way that they were taught these things, or there's somebody somewhere who has the answers and they give you the answers and then you just sort of, I guess you're just supposed to do them. But that doesn't actually sustain or, or endure because unless you've wrestled with it and come to it yourself, you're you're just passing along things that you were handed. Um, and so in some senses, it's, it's important to grow up. And growing up spiritually means you take responsibility. And a lot of religious systems were actually not about people taking responsibility. They were about somebody else doing that work for you. Um, so yeah, I'm try- I, am, I, am, I have in all my work, um, I just love the idea that Jesus has asked lots of questions, lots and lots of questions. I think he answers two of them in the gospels. Otherwise he responds with a question. Yes. So what's interesting is the Jesus movement um, Jesus says how do you read it how did you interpret it what do you think who do you say I am so what's fascinating is the Christian movement has often been thought of as brainwashing people and the Jesus movement has often been like well you just just take the answers but actually Jesus the one thing Jesus didn't do was brainwashing mm. it was all you're going to have to wrestle with this and own it for yourself yeah
0: This is groundbreaking. (laughs) I mean, it really is. And I guess let me kind of share a little bit of my perspective of where I'm coming from. I'm one of those people that you talk about in your book and you've mentioned on the podcast about never reading the Bible, but totally writing it off because of how it was used. Like, and I felt kind of hurt by it, you know? So reading this, your book in particular has really, it's almost reclaimed this book for me and that it is open to interpretation. And The thing that I think is most beautiful about this is I've had such a strong hunger of getting to know who Jesus was, not who somebody told me he was, but who he actually was and what he stood for. And the really cool thing about this is that the more I learn about Jesus, he was a disruptor. He encouraged us to really (laughs) think about this stuff. Yeah. I've always kind of lived a little bit on the edges of never really wanting to follow the rules. I've never just believed something because somebody told me to. And here I come find Jesus who's oh my gosh, are we, are we alike? Is there like a, a place for me here?
1: <laughs> it might be the single greatest lie in, at least in, in the ways people think about spirituality, that somehow the, the Jesus, which for many people is simply the Christian world. Um, its origins are in subversion mm. and the margins and the edges and, uh, Speaking truth to power and raging against the machine and the the Jesus movement was birthed exactly like you're saying. So the idea that for many people, the Christian movement is uh, right wing Republican Fox News, American flag waving is such a misreading and misunderstanding. And uh, that's really thrilling to me that like you're realizing, wait, I was not told the truth here.
0: (laughs) Well, the election excited a lot of that for me because I saw this agenda being pushed using the cloak of Christianity
1: right. to make right. it right. right. And I right. started
0: having all of these negative feelings of like, is this the whole truth? Like, is this how Jesus <laughs> thought about women? Is this how he thought about the world and us right. and them? And so I just, I had to go back and look at this through a fresh lens. And yes. there's so much more here than I ever right. realized.
1: Right, right. And, you, and, and I, I love it how you say, like, was I being taught the truth? Um, there's the, these prophets who, like Isaiah is a book in the, in the Old Testament, also called the Hebrew Scriptures. And Isaiah writes in exile. So the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. These people have been hauled away. And in exile, they begin to imagine a better future. And they've been conquered by a global military superpower, the Babylonians. So the context of the book of Isaiah is if we ever could come home, how would we if we got like a second chance, if we if we could start over with a clean slate, how would we do it? And so Isaiah has this vision of a new way of being and caring for the poor and living at peace. And one of his big things is nonviolence. And that's where the beating. Um, beating your swords into plowshares comes from this Mm -hmm. idea of weapons of war. Um, going back to what you said, when George Bush announced that we had won the war in Iraq and remember he landed on the aircraft carrier.
0: Yeah.
1: He quoted from the book of Isaiah. So the book of (laughs) Isaiah is people imagining a new future when there wouldn't be violence. Because they had been on the receiving end of violence from a a global military superpower. So when George Bush, God bless him, lands on an aircraft carrier and announces victory of a global military superpower (laughs) over a small Middle Eastern minority of people and quotes the book of Isaiah, it's we are officially flying upside down. You know what I mean? (laughs)
0: I imagine like, I mean, you have such a depth of knowledge and expertise on the Bible. I mean, it's so apparent to me. And just listening to your podcast has been uh, like honey for me. So I imagine you experience a lot of the things that go on and you're just kind of like, you have to laugh at yourself. of Like, this is so backwards. backwards?"
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it does, honestly, thinking about this new book, there is a sort of Injustice to how people understand the Bible. There is some, I don't know, you know, like you, you get like angry and hopefully a redeeming sort of way. People so misunderstand what the Bible is. Um,
0: I have completely misunderstood what the Bible
1: is. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've realized in doing interviews about this book, how much of what I'm doing is it's like a setting the record straight. Like, no, I, I don't, whatever you believe, whatever, that's fine. But at least don't so completely miss what these ancient, this ancient library is. Yeah, that's very great.
0: Well, it's funny that you <laughs> mentioned um, George W. in this because one of the chapters of the book, you talk about how these people were claiming God told me to do this or God, but that was the old school of thought of back well, in your well, times and you had gods and you're conquering people in the name of God.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. But the Bible reflects... the This is how people saw things. Yeah. So you have to read it and just let it be what it is. People saw the world this way. Um, and there's sort of a, why would I ever read a book? One of the big complaints about the Bible, why would I ever read a book where people go in and slaughter a village in the name of their God? Well, first off, the book reflects how people saw the world. It also as the book progresses speaks with great critique of that sort of understanding. So it's even the understanding of the understanding of what God even is, is evolving as the Bible progresses yeah. and each of us are evolving and growing. So actually the Bible as a whole simply is like a larger of how any of us are. There are earlier parts in our life where we're like, Oh my word, that's so embarrassing. Oh my word. I was <laughs> so back. I was so stuck. Um, yeah, but we don't immediately say everything that happened in your life. We don't just we don't just like well, we don't look at any pictures. We don't care about whatever. We just embrace. Yeah, you were there, and now you're here. And human beings were there, and now we're here. Yeah, and can it works. we
0: talk about like the way that you humanize the Bible? Because this is one of the things <laughs> that you really promote throughout the book that it was written by humans about their human experience. And for some weird reason, Rob, like I never thought about it that way and it's so right. obvious now
1: <laughs> well I, and it's interesting like if i'll do A, Q&A, the number of people who need to say things about the bible that it's divine that it's inspired that it's god's word that it's inerrant that there's all these language that religious people use which is interesting this tremendous need for people but when you ask them what they even mean by that They've literally invented words that they then need to use for this book. Um, But first and foremost, it's real people in real places at real times. So why don't you just start there? Uh, And like in the book, I just keep beating that drum. If you start with who were these people, where did they live? What was going on? And then you ask the most important question, why did they feel the need to write this down? Suddenly you have a totally different set of discussions. Um, And you have a totally different set of, things to explore because you have oh I can see why that would have mattered to them or yeah that yeah you can see why somebody would have thought that was helpful. Um it just completely changes the discussion.
0: Oh completely. And I think the thing that's happening in what is the Bible too is that there's so many different layers and angles that you're turning this gem, which I think yes. is a beautiful phrase, by the way,
1: that you're not <laughs> only
0: putting these people and places into historical and cultural context, but you're putting the stories themselves into context with one another, like one another. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're, you see this whole progression of a story. like it's, The whole Bible is one full story of awakening, of, yes. of a new consciousness right. that's coming.
1: Raw. Oh, well said that if you read it like that then the earlier more primitive and barbaric parts make a lot more sense cuz you're like oh an awakening means you were back there and now you're moving forward and you and you keep going so then it frees you to just let it be what it is um and it becomes much more helpful cuz you're like this is what it looks like when people wake up
0: This episode is sponsored by Honey and Sage Co. You guys, I just received my first subscription box and I am blown away by the quality of products they included. Not only does Honey and Sage Co. create their own apothecary products, but they also source from all of these other amazing goodies to create this really well-rounded wellness package. My favorite thing that I received was their Focused Intentions Aura Mist. I've literally used it five times already today. And I have a feeling that this is gonna be my latest obsession. They're giving you 10% off your first subscription or your first shop order. Simply go to honeyandsageco.com and enter the coupon code HolyAndWild at checkout.
1: And that's helpful. And that's to me the, the number one, because for many people, like why would you even bother with a book? Well, this is a, this is a massive library of books about what it looks like when human beings wake up. And that's Mm. interesting.
0: So that's interesting. interesting. Yes.
1: (laughs) So all the people like, what, what relevance would that have? We need to be (laughs) talking about whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's important because the more you understand about how people wake up, the more than insight you have into how people wake up today. Because human I beings think, have been fairly common.
0: Oh, But it also shows the danger, I think, in taking one piece of the Bible and using that as, as a truth without yeah. any other context around it.
1: Right. Right. Because you can take sacred text and you can dive bomb in and grab a paragraph and make it say pretty much whatever you want. Yeah. You can, you can just pick without seeing it within a flow. And then, and then of course, it's a dumbled mess. Yeah, obviously.
0: So there's this beautiful part in the book, and I I hope that everybody reads this chapter specifically, because you talk about how the Bible constantly reminds you of who you are. And I've never, first of all, the phrase I am, I think is one of the most powerful phrases in in our language. Mm -hmm. And for the Bible to constantly remind us of who we are, first and foremost, of what we're deserving of, of God's grace. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And then the center part comes after that. And I've always experienced it like reverse. So I feel like growing up, I over-identified with the center and under-identified with who I am.
1: Yes, yes, Major, Major
0: paradigm shift for me there.
1: Oh. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, and then once you have that, it's an announcement of who you are and you're invited to live into that which is fundamentally different from if I just make you feel crappy enough, maybe you'll change, which, (laughs) which nobody, that doesn't really work. I mean, it may scare people for a moment, but if you actually are looking for transformation, it's interesting how many people were told in eighth grade or when they were 15, somebody pointed out, Hey, you're pretty good at this. And it carried them all the way into a career or something because somebody said, this is who I see you are. Um, And that for many people, shame shame with the system they were in shame was how it motivated. If yeah. I can just make you feel bad enough, you'll change your behavior. Um, but even you think about the early, like the Bible begins with blessing and favor human beings bearing the divine image. That's actually where the story starts. Um, and they've also, there's all this interesting analysis about if you, and like this phrase, uh, original sin came in much, much later in the human story if you can convince people that they are first and foremost bad, it's much easier to control them. And um, there's all this interesting, if you're a political ruler, if people believe that they are fundamentally sinners, first and foremost, they're much more likely to look to somebody else for guidance. But if they believe that goodness and truth resides with them as a whole, they'll be much less likely to go along with um, a barbaric or cruel dictator, but these ideas have real consequences in the world. Um, oh, and yes. also in my experience, when you begin with who you are first and foremost, then those people in my experience are much more likely to take responsibility when they do make a mess of things because mm. their identity isn't on the line. Um, but if you have first and foremost, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, and then you wrong somebody. Um, my experience: people are much less likely to actually make amends because, oh man, if I actually acknowledge this, the whole thing might might collapse. As opposed to, uh, yes, I did this, and now I take full I take full responsibility. I make amends. Yeah, these mm-hmm. ideas have serious implications for how people live. Oh, mm-hmm. and not
0: only that, but even how you view God. Um, if you view Absolutely. God through this wrathful lens. Yes. <laughs> And going back to this this piece in particular about the worthiness versus sin, I think it's such a blueprint for how we relate to ourselves. Because how many of us try and shame ourselves into change versus reminding ourselves of who we are and what we're worthy of. And, oh, my goodness, that changes into such a compassionate voice.
1: Mm. Yes. And think about how many, I mean, starting with Disney, think about how many stories are about somebody who's a prince or a princess but no one knows. Yeah. And their true identity gets revealed, and it turns out they actually are—they actually do belong. Um, yeah. We've been telling ourselves this story about secret identity, about true self. Um, like these stories, they touch a nerve for some very particular reasons. Uh, yeah. And yeah, and and that actually takes you into reading the Bible. You begin to read the Bible at this level, and you begin to realize the profound statements that's making about human nature and how we grow and how we change.
0: I mean, I just even think looking at Jesus's life and what he was teaching and what he stood for, like there was a a verse that popped up at me and I was having a discussion with my mom. We we come from very different perspectives, but the verse that popped up was from John uh, chapter 14, verse six, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And I had this idea. I was like, what if what Jesus is saying is that you get to God through this path that I'm laying out for you that I'm that I'm modeling to you, and it just was a subtle nuance that I, it opened up a whole new perspective of this verse. Yes, so it was just. He's so, probably yes. I love that. I love it. <laughs> so here's something I have a personal question about. So after getting to know Jesus and seeing everything that happened in the election. I'm still getting to know Jesus, uh, full discretion. <laughs> I hope I always am. Um, I had this idea of like, why couldn't Jesus have been a woman? Like, why couldn't there be a feminine role model um of God for us? And I was just wondering if you had any perspective. I mean, obviously, from a cultural perspective, there's no way Jesus could have been a woman because she probably would have been stoned to death before she could even do anything in the cultural <laughs> context. <laughs> but how yeah. does the divine feminine yeah. show up in the Bible?
1: Right, 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 because if you don't, you must have the sacred feminine, or you're missing um half the image uh, of the divine, so it's not surprising to me that Catholics venerate Mary
0: yeah
1: um it's like if we do the the need to see the feminine through the le- the sacred through the lens of the feminine is absolutely necessary. Um, so why does the Jesus story? Uh, in a first century Jewish patriarchal society. Um, even then, we know that uh, the gospel writer Luke says that there were women who paid his bills. Um, women, women are the ones who stick around as crucifixion. So the writers go out of their way. In a culture where women didn't have, like weren't considered witnesses in court, the writers go out of the way to tell you what a prominent role women played. Yeah. Um, And then in the subsequent Jesus movement, there are lots of examples where the writers go out of their way to say there was a woman in Philippi who ran the whole thing. There was a woman over here. And actually, Jesus' genealogy at the beginning of Matthew includes all these women. So, yes, the Bible is very patriarchal. It's dominated by men, totally reflects its culture. And yet within that, it keeps having these breakouts or moments when women... When its treatment of women is very progressive um, in its regression so it's in the larger thing we have a long way to go um, even mm-hmm. in terms of equal pay and such at some point we'll have a woman president um, mm-hmm. so yes the bible both reflects the backwardness of culture which shouldn't surprise us and yet keeps hinting at forward movement um, but yes. i know a lot of women a lot of women, the way that they were taught about spirit and the religious context they came up in was all men it was all It was all just men, men ruling men's examples, sports analogies.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, illustr- sermon illustrations about cars, um, you know what I mean like yeah. for a lot of women. And I think that's why you're seeing the emergence of so many voices now. And part of the power of the internet has been the absolute necessity of female voices being heard and hearing each other, which I obviously just celebrate to no end.
0: I love that. Yeah. And I think
1: about my daughter. My wife just did a whole research project on women in movies and women producers and women directors. Um, But we just as a family went to Wonder Woman and which was directed oh, okay. by a woman and uh Kristen did this whole research paper but what was interesting is just that our daughter is growing up in such a different world than my wife grew up in. our daughter's eight but she's growing up in such a different world of what's what's available and possible and the basis that she's being exposed to which is so exciting
0: i agree i had that same experience like watching that movie of like wow little girls are seeing this and it was very moving for me, but to see uh, somebody that represents you on a big screen is just so big. Yes. Oh, so I have a couple of questions for you before we wrap things up. And one of them is, is there a Christian denomination that you're familiar with that kind of embraces this discernment around the Bible and encourages discussion?
1: Oh, huh. I'm sure there are lots of people who read the Bible this way. I wouldn't know of any particular strand, but yeah, I think there are lots of people who think about it this way.
0: Okay. And I'm going to go to a specific page in your book because I've been having a lot of conversations (laughs) with a lot of my Christian family members. And one one question keeps on coming up and I I don't understand quite the importance of it. So I'm sure you'll have a little bit more background than this, Um, but they're curious about how the Holy Trinity shows up what your beliefs around that are and like how you interpret that so the phrase that i am pointing to in the book is on page 243 where you're talking about um you know jesus died and he comes back and he, he tells them to make students immersing those disciples in the trinitarian oh. love of god and then he was gone and we are like what do we do <laughs> <now?" laughs> so what does the trinitarian love of god look like for you
1: oh yeah well this is interesting because as people began to reflect on the nature of the divine and people, this idea of God is love. Mm. If you tell me that you're loving, but you don't love anybody, then it's hard for me to believe that you are loving. So the very nature of love is love demands relationship.
0: Mm.
1: So somebody lives all alone on a desert, uh, out in the desert and has no contact with humans and says, I'm very loving party goes, I don't know because the very nature of love is it demands somebody to receive that love and a giving and receiving. So over time, as thinking began to, to, to develop about the nature of the divine, you can see where this idea of the divine must be some sort of community in which love, as opposed to a static fixed being, the divine must be some sort of energetic community of love. So even right away, the Bible begins, the first mention of God is in the, is the Bible begins within the beginning God created, that the word there is Elohim. Mm-hmm. And that's a plural word. So early, early in the Bible, as early as it gets in the Bible, there are lots of interesting, subtle, complex ways people were trying to describe the nature of reality. And one of the ones they came up with over time was that God is some sort of community of endless giving love. And this idea of father, son and Holy spirit, this idea of God as a community of oneness in which each of the members encircle the other in love. So the early church fathers had this phrase, the perichoresis of God. Choresis is where we get the word choreography and peri means around. So the, the, they called it the divine dance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so a lot of people, when they talk about God, what they're referring to is a static being who's somewhere else on a cloud with a long beard, whatever. And that being either does or doesn't intervene in this world. But in the Jesus tradition, God was understood to be this dance, this community of love, this never ending giving and receiving. And then what you do when you give love and receive is you are entering into the dance. So, uh, God is the ground of being, And when you live this way, you are lining yourself up with the deepest foundations of reality, which is such a different, just a different discussion. So when people say like, how do you prove God or how do you think that, how do you think of God or how do you, just not interesting. It's not that we're now not in a courtroom making an argument. Um, We are asking questions about how we believe the universe functions and that's what we mean by God. It's just a different discussion. So, I, so, Jesus, as a first century Jew, uses a very patriarchal male language, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I think he is saying, uh, go and teach people my way and immerse them in this Trinitarian dance.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: It's interesting The people who often talk the most about the Trinity and got, have no idea what they're talking about. You know what well, I mean? It's, it's this, like, been
0: curious about question's come up yeah, so much.
1: Because um, it's interesting how people need it as a doctrinal affirmation. Maybe that's your family. He's like, I need to know you believe in the Trinity. Yeah. Um, and how oftentimes the Trinity is like a litmus test for whether or not you're in or you're proper or you're right or something without any of the actual rea- discussion about the point of Trinity, which is. That you live in a particular way, so you'll yeah, have a very you
0: have a, you'll have a, a very process.
1: selfish you'll have a very selfish person saying, "Oh, I don't know if they believe in Trinity." You know what I mean? Or yeah. it's like, wait. <laughs> so I think it's less. Uh, it, that's the interesting thing when things get turned into doctrines and dogmas is if they're cut off from the it, the reality you're being invited into, then all you do is just have some intellectual proposition that you either agree to or don't and then now we have a category for determining who's a heretic and who's not without the actual reality which is when you begin to see this world this way oh it's just yeah it's fantastic
0: it is so my last question for you you mentioned this on one of your lives the other day and it just it touched me so deeply One of the biggest shifts that's happened for me in changing my idea of who God is, I used to believe that if I prayed enough or was good enough, then God would bestow and answer my prayers. And when my prayers wouldn't be answered, it was like, well, I Uh, must not uh, be doing something right, or I must not be doing something well enough, right? Maybe there's no hope that God is hearing my prayers. And you said something about how we try and make sense of our struggle. Why is this? Why do I keep going through this? And you said that struggle is not an intellectual experience and some struggle is not meant to be defined or understood. And I would love to just kind of talk a little bit more about how you view struggle, this human experience of ours in relation to God. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, a lot of times when people suffer, they run it through the filter of rationalism and logic. Um, and one of the great contributions of the wisdom tradition over the years was pointing out suffering doesn't often doesn't exist in rational categories of analysis. Um, why did this person get cancer? Um, sometimes the problem with the question is what if you got an answer? Sometimes people are all hung up on, I just don't know why. Yeah, but what would a why look like? Um, <laughs> Why did the car go off the road and hit the tree? Well, um, this exists in other categories than that. And yeah. the problem in the modern age is we've been operating for the past three or 400 years with the enlightenment and the birth of scientific method. We've been operating in a modern world that's, that's been so deeply in, enmeshed and, and obsessed with rational, logical, linear thought that it then applies this one way of knowing things to the whole spectrum of human experience. But some things you need a poem. You don't need a scientist. Some, some things you need, you need a parable. You don't need data. Um, and that that human beings know things in different ways and we give expression to our experience using different categories and forms of language and symbols and metaphor and, that part of the problem is we are we are the children of this modern age that built skyscrapers and hospitals and airports and it put 10,000 songs in our pockets with algorithms and mechanical physics and math, which is great, but it's not the sum total of human experience. So part of it is just saying to people who have grown up in a Google world... Um, Google algorithms are wonderful for some of life, but when your friend ODs or your grandparent dies, there isn't an algorithm for that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And that's part of the power of the Bible is it is language for that dimension of life that doesn't fit on a spreadsheet and can't be accessed with your five senses. And that's really important Mm -hmm. because in some ways we have very smart, sophisticated modern people who don't, who are very poor in, well, just like you were to ask your listeners, what's the best poem that you rely on when somebody close to you dies? Or what's the ritual? What ritual when you pass out of one season and pass into a new season, what's the ritual? What's your go-to ritual? Mm. Well, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, right. So for thousands of years, people have understood that life moves in seasons. And if you don't mark those seasons, you might get stuck in one season with, um, so lots of modern people are stuck living like an old season, but a new season has come, but never marked it. And they're kind of miserable and don't know why it's because when you rejected all that old prehistoric religion, you also rejected a bunch of things that were really helpful. So, um,
0: Oh, do I not know that?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so part of it is just helping people, some of that stuff back there might have actually endured for a reason. And so real maturity isn't just cutting yourself off from everything that came before. Actual substantive maturity is when you can pick through it and go, oh, actually, we should, we should keep that one. Um, yeah. We're going to leave all that behind, but we should keep this.
0: Yeah. Yep. I also think that's like where faith comes in of understanding, like, we're not going to know the answers to all things. Absolutely. But also Absolutely. knowing that we have power to give meaning to our experiences. And Absolutely. if we trust God, that God loves us, that we go, rooted in that, you know. There you go. Rob Bell, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Everyone, please go and get What is the Bible? This book will literally, I mean, I love the title because it's so true. It'll transform the way you think and feel about everything. <laughs> And it's legit. So I am so, so honored to have you today, Rob. And go and check out the Robcast because that is some good stuff. And we will see you again soon.
1: All right. Grace and peace. Thank you.
0: A huge thanks to Rob Bell for being such an amazing guest on Wild and Holy Radio as we are getting our start in the world. But more importantly a huge thanks to you for downloading this episode and being a part of this community it would mean the world to me for you to continue to support wild and holy radio by going to itunes and leaving a quick review your words straight from the heart help us reach all the other spiritual seekers and the religious and curious who are out there looking for a safe container to explore their divinity to redefine god and to build a deeper relationship with themselves I would love, love, love to see your review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. Thanks so much. And I'll see you again soon on another episode of Wild and Holy.